Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League, powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. And it's days like today that I'm really happy I don't have to do this on my own. Because if I was, I'd either be yelling into this microphone for an hour straight or it would be dead silence for an hour straight. And I'm going to need you to carry me through this or else um, there's going to be trouble. I think this is the first time in my life that I am upset to be right. Yeah, I'm pretty upset that you were right. Well, I was right too, kind of, I guess. But Yeah, we called Tampa yeah. and six, right? Very, very, very upsetting. But I mean, did you did you expect anything less coming into the series like okay i gotta ask you a question coming into the series did you actually think there was a realistic chance we won obviously there was a chance did you think there was a realistic like non-trivial chance we were winning the series yeah i, I had confidence in them really I, yeah I, I i thought i knew this team was going to be different because they couldn't be what they were last year i know tampa's tampa but the leafs were the best team they've ever fielded in in history they broke their points record by i think it was close to 10 points they're a good team. They play Tampa well all regular season. And they, what are you going to do? But I, I did have confidence, even though I, I kind of bet on Tampa and this just sort of as like a reverse drink of some sort because I didn't want to, you know, put the Leafs on top. But I, I did have confidence in the back of my mind that they could win it. And they just they came up short. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm like no disrespect to all my friends. I'm like the biggest Leaf fan I know. I, I wanted these Leafs to win so badly. And I... I didn't I, I didn't think it was going to happen, to be honest with you. But here's what I'll say. If you would have told me that coming into this series, Austin Matthews would average over a point per game, score three goals, and Jack Campbell would be the better goalie in this series, I would have bet the house on the Leafs winning. Yeah. Coming into this series, we said two things. We said, number one, goaltending. Jack Campbell had to at least be just marginally worse than Vasilevsky. Just keep them in the game, average goaltending. Campbell and Vasilevsky had this, literally the same goals against average and save percentage virtually. The only real Vasilevsky we saw was in Game 7, and he of took course. over, right? So, number two, yeah, like, Vasilevsky was human for six games. I, I we, we lost this series before Game 7 because you knew Game 7, Vasilevsky was coming out. But anyway, we'll talk about that soon. The second one we said was special teams. We said the Leafs had to be better on the PK and the power play, right, in order to win this series. And even Nick said that, too, um, on our on the, the interview in the last show. The Leafs had a power play percentage of 17 and a quarter. Tampa was 21 and a half. They beat us there. And our penalty kill was better than five percentage points. I mean, we they did the two things we said they needed to do. What happened? You just got beat by a good team. That's definitely what it is. I don't, yeah. I don't think there's anything you can nitpick about the Leafs' performance that suggests that there should be outrage. It's just disappointment i mean like last year the whole fan base the whole city was angry like and they were right rightfully so because last year was embarrassing beyond belief this year it's not even anger it's just this is you just feel hurt because they played so well they did everything that you could have asked of them we just went over those stats they were good in the areas that we thought they needed to be good in they just lost yeah i mean it's still embarrassing this year just because it's been five years now like the leafs are yeah. 0 and 10 own 10 in series clinching games since 2015 like the austin era it's it's if this was the first or second series the leafs lost in game seven there's a lot of positives you take away from this right sure it's, sure yeah. yeah it's just gotten to a point where at this point anytime that you lose in the first round it's embarrassing even though these are literally the back-to-back -back stanley cup champions coming into this playoffs 
I, I, I thought that Tampa was the best team to make it into the playoffs. I think they're better than Colorado, like, honestly. I mean, yeah, how can you say that they aren't the best team in the league? They won the past two Cups. Like, yeah, yeah. So when, when, when I think about what happened, like, why we lost, number one, you're right, we just got beat by a better team. Like, we stood toe-to-toe to them. Austin Matthews said it best. Like, this is a game of inches, and it is such a fine, fine line. We stood toe-to-toe with this team for seven games, there's only one game that was a blowout. We blew them out one game, too. We were right there. I thought we were the better team for most of the series. Yeah, yeah. Just at the end of the day, you know, we got beat by a more experienced team. And you knew, you knew coming into that third period last night that there was no chance. And the reason why I say this is like this is what Sheldon Keefe said after the game, too, in the postgame conference. He said one of the biggest scouting reports about the Tampa Bay Lightning is that they are the best team in the league at holding leads going into the third period. They knew they needed to be ahead of these teams going into the third. Did you see what happened last night in that third period? Yeah, they just they they collapsed and they didn't let us shoot. They were blocking everything. They we didn't get any real high danger chances in that third period because they just they locked it down as as they do. Yeah, not a single high danger chance. Nothing got through the neutral zone. Every time the Leafs entered the zone, it was through the periphery, and we needed to take a low danger shot from the hash marks on the outer side. I mean, you're not you're not going to score a goal against a Conn Smythe winner and back-to-back cup champion like that. Every single shot from the point was blocked. That yeah. team is just that team is just a team of champions. Like, what are you going to do, right? The only thing I can see the Leafs like that that served to the Leafs' detriment was they took bad penalties at really bad times. And we can argue whether the penalties were worthy of it, but at the end of the day, um, Kerfoot cannot take a penalty to cause a five on three, 200 feet from his own net when they're up three, two in, in the third period, even if it was not a good penalty, like you can't do that. The only reason they were on the penalty kill is because the, the ref blew a call, which one Cal foot hit him in the shoulder and he snapped his head back. And he got shot in the head. Yeah. That's so that they should never have been on the penalty kill in the first place. But that aside, he, he was trying to make a play down the man in the offensive zone. He, yeah. It's a silly penalty. Maybe you don't have to be that aggressive when you're killing a penalty and you know the puck's safe when it's in their zone. Um, so that that was a stupid penalty, but I don't know. I, I think early in the series, there was a lot of, they were taking a lot of stupid penalties. Yeah. I think I think the refs, for, for a bad reason, played a bigger role in the last two games. Um, we can talk about the refs all we want, um, but let's just get, give credit to Tampa and also Nick freaking Paul. Like this guy comes from Ottawa, scores his only two playoff goals of his career. Granted, he probably wouldn't have had any playoff games because Ottawa's crap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. That's just such... Like, of course, it's him. Like We were talking about it yesterday. We watched the game together. Kucherov, Stamkos, obviously point because he got hurt. None of their big boys were... were like They were invisible him. almost the whole entire game. Yep. And I guess that's why you get depth because... They can score a goal every once in a while that wins you a series. Yeah, no, the team is the team is deeper than we are. Actually, you know, I don't even know if they're deeper than we are on paper. They just know how to win. There's just some intangible quality about that team that lets them win. And you know what? That team went through a lot of problems early on when that core was being built. You remember they got yeah. swept by Columbus. They were getting kicked out in the first round. And now, look, they're a team of champions. Like, maybe... maybe Maybe the Leafs need to go through some learning in order to get there too, but it's been five. It's been a lot of learning. It's been it's been a lot of learning. At the end of the day, bad penalties were what lost us this series. Honestly, you cannot let a power play with Hedman, Stamkos, Kucherov, Point get that many chances. And I mean, especially taking it 200 feet from your own net with eight yeah. minutes left. You're up 3-2. Like, come on. 
come on. Like aside, not to be a salty, you know, ref hater, but how does five foot seven Alexander Kerfoot give an elbowing penalty to a, to a six foot eight Hedman? There was a lot of talk that you well, know Hedman hit himself. Hedman like lift. It was almost like Hedman lifted Kerfoot's stick and it rode up and hit him. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, you have to, they were saying on the broadcast, I think it was Kevin BX saying, oh, you got to still got to be responsible for your stick. But when someone hits it, there's only so much you can do it. That's still a penalty. Yeah. But yeah. it's hard to put all the blame on him. But maybe did he get himself in a situation where that was possible and he shouldn't have done that in the first place? You, you could argue that and I wouldn't argue against it. Yeah, here's why this thing is so much more. It's because of these quotes that John Cooper was making throughout the series that pissed me off so much. Yeah. That one comment about Jack Campbell saying, you know, Jack Campbell basically hasn't been that good. We're just giving it to him. And then Jack Campbell comes out and stands on his head to shut Great. John Cooper out. And we still don't get the win for the guy. And then the other John Cooper quote saying, they're not really winning or earning anything. We're giving it to them. Man, I if I was Sheldon Keefe, I was telling you, I would have printed that quote on size 100 font and plastered it on every single locker room change hmm. room that I could find. And just but before every single game, tell my team to just read these quotes. Like, th- like this is what they're saying on that side. Yeah. It's just, it, it's sad. Here's what I'll say. I think there's a lot of positives to take from this season. We didn't beat ourselves. We just got beat by yeah, a better team. But is- at, at the end of the day, we lost. So like, what happens now? Uh, That's I, the big question. This is the day after. I, I I can't even think clearly, but my first instinct after that period is not not serious. Rather, is that in a weird way, I don't I don't know. I'm kind of proud of this team, and not 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 really proud of them because they still lost, but they lost in a more respectable way. Yeah. I and I don't see what making wholesale changes or big changes does of any benefit. We lost to this two-time Stanley Cup champion. We broke our regular season points record. I know regular season doesn't matter in the playoffs, but it still it shows that you have a good team. Other places that this squad can be strengthened in, absolutely. But I don't think that means you got to trade one of the big four. You got to fire Keefe and you got to fire Dubis. I don't necessarily think that um, will amount to progress because the team's been built in a specific way and it hasn't worked out yet. But I do have faith. This team's good. I, this team is very good. It's only a matter of time before they do something. So I don't do necessarily. You, do you have faith that this team? given three or four more first-round chances with this core in this division, can win a Stanley Cup? Three or four is a lot. Um, it is. I, I do think that they can do it, absolutely. We just said they were the better team against Tampa. They didn't win, but they were right there the whole way. I don't I don't see how making a big change is going to fix this because they were so close. Yeah, I don't. I don't think... The word of better is objectively true. They were equally as good. They were good enough to the point where either team could have won, but they didn't dominate Tampa, right? No, they didn't. They didn't. No, and, and no one's going to dominate Tampa, yeah. but they, they were better in game six overtime. Game six, they came back. Game five, they came back. They showed so much resilience that we had never seen out of a Leafs team before. They were better than the team that they that they iced last year, that's for sure. Yeah, okay. Here's what I'll say. Like, theoretically, if this was the first. Game seven loss, or even the second, or maybe even the third, you do nothing. I agree. The Leafs have had their best season, third in the league with 115 points, took the best team in the league. I'm sorry, I think the best team in the league, back to back Stanley Cup champions, toe to toe to seven games and lost by a goal, right? This conversation is so much different if the Leafs score in game seven, right? So, score, sorry, score in overtime in game six where you go, look, this is the team they're constructed to win. They didn't, they didn't do it. So, 
it's hard for me to say, you know, tear down the core or clean house. I don't think you should. But there has to be something said about a team that just cannot win. Like, I wonder if this team, like Austin Matthews and John Tafars, look at look at the team and go, like, can we just not win? It's been five, five years. I know. To f- not good teams. But three of the teams were good. Yeah. Right? Is there something to be said about a team that just cannot win? You know, going into this series, I would be hard-pressed to think that the Tampa Bay Lightning were not licking their lips going, we're going to beat this team. We're yeah. going to beat this team. What do you think was going on in, in, in the big force head in Toronto going into this playoffs? Like, honestly, what was going through their mind? I th- Based on how they played, I, I think they felt confident. I think they were thinking to themselves, okay, this has to be the year. Because they they played with desire that I had not seen them ever play with. They were all, like, finishing checks and digging in the corners, barring Willie on a few occasions. But the guys that I'm thinking of, John Tavares, Austin Matthews, even Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner has probably been the the one of those four even more than Willie has gotten the most the most flack over the past few years and deservedly so at times but he came out he put up eight points he was seven or seven points something like that he was so good I think what was going through their minds is we got to win we got to do it it's time and, and they couldn't but I don't think it was for a lack of trying no I, I agree I just wonder if these guys were thinking like I agree saying like we need to win but I wonder if they're also thinking like, man, what if? Like, what if we don't win? What yeah. if? What if? What if? It's probably hard not to think about that because of this, you know, because of the circumstances. Um, it has to be a culture thing, and that's what I'll say. And that that's such, you know, that's such a vague, broad thing to say. And I know that's like an old timer way to say that. Oh, you know, this team isn't built for the playoffs; they can't win. I don't agree with that. I think this team is built to win a cup. They're deep in the top six. Their defensive pairings are fantastic. Their goalie showed this year that he's unbelievable. This team on paper is built to win, and they're gritty enough to do it. But, man, I think I think you have to make a move. I think you have to change something in the core because I wonder if these guys are looking at themselves saying, we are unwinnable. Like, you know those times in your life when nothing is going right and it's out of your control and you just need a change? Yeah, sometimes is it that you time? do. Sometimes you do. I just, I just don't know how a change will like necessarily make you better. I I agree, but it's it's been clear now that it's been four years where a change is not no change is not making you better, right? And it comes to a point where if you're gonna knock this down to it being a culture thing, because it it's not a depth thing. Last year we said it was a depth thing. This year they got Camp, they got Kasha, Mikheyev is playing well, Kerf is playing well, Engvall is playing well. It's not a depth thing. Two years ago, it was a defensive thing. This year, our top four defensemen, I'm sorry, I think are just as good as the top four in Tampa. Last year was also a goalie thing. We had a Vesna candidate in the first half of the year, and in this first round, he played like a Vesna candidate, good. right? There's nothing else that you can do. And once again, I was having this conversation with some of my friends that work at The Athletic, and they were all saying, do nothing. I agree if this was the third season, but dude, it's been five. You got to do something. Well, what's that something then? I think you need to make a change to the core, but you can't be stupid about it like you're saying and make and make a move for Mitch Marner. Like anybody who's saying Mitch Marner has to go doesn't understand hockey. There's maybe three wingers in the league that are better than him, and this year he played like a top three winger in the league. Yeah. Right? The only wingers I can see better than him objectively are Miko Rantanen, maybe Brad Marchand, and on a good day, Jonathan Huberto. I don't even know if I take Huberto over him. I wouldn't. Right? You do not trade Austin. You John Tavares is unmovable. You don't trade Mitch Marner. There's only one guy left. 
contract, Willie. Yeah, it's the most movable contract. You know, he put up 82 points this year. He was point per game. I mean, he's on a very team-friendly 6.9 million. If there's one guy to go, it's him. I, I'm I'm hard-pressed to think William Nylander plays another game as a Toronto Maple Leaf. And do you trade him for, for what, another winger? I don't know. I just think you make a big change to the core. A, to save face, but more so to show this team that like you're committed to making a change. And, and the reason why I say this is because you would be so stupid to get rid of this top four playing the way that they did this year if they lost in the first round in the second year. But it just seems like these four can't win together and you got to do something. Like, am I crazy to think that? No, I don't think you're crazy to think that. I, I'm i just hesitant to make a change for the sake of making a change. I, I agree. And that's why last year and the year before I said no. Because for that move, like you don't make a change just to make one. And just to show your fans like, oh, you know, we're committed to being better when that makes you objectively worse. But if the only thing we can chalk this loss down to is a culture thing or being unlucky, I mean, there's only one way to change a culture. I don't necessarily think it's culture, though. You don't? No, because I would say it's culture if they came out the same way they came out last year. But they showed that they're willing to play for each other. They showed that they're willing to bounce back when they're down two in games five and six. And in game seven, play until the very last very last buzzer. I would say it's culture. If Like last year, they came out in game seven and barely had any scoring chances in three periods and got beat by an objectively worse Montreal Canadiens team. Like then, if it happened two years in a row, I would be on that band. I, w- I would be the first person calling for a change because that that that's a pattern. But th- they just showed a different side this year to me. That and maybe you do make a change. I, I wouldn't be fully opposed to a change if 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 I was like, oh, okay, this is a good trade. But just trading any player for the sake of making change to save face or even just to do it, I don't necessarily agree with it, but. Little do I know they can make a, they can make some sort of change and go on and win the cup next year and I'd, and I'd happily look like an idiot for saying that but I don't know I'm I'm hesitant to to do that. Um, yeah, no, I, I I agree. You don't make a change for the sake of it. I'm saying I'm saying maybe move Nylander just to just to have a somewhat of a fresh start. Maybe have somewhat of a new core because any Leaf fan knows he is part of the big four. He is, he is part of that core. Yeah, you can't move Morgan Riley. He's great deal. Yeah, he's, right. Yeah, just signed a contract too. Yeah, there's only one guy that can be moved, and I think you need to shake up the core in as minimally as possible just to have a fresh start. Because, like, what does this team do? They come into training camp next year, going, "Oh well, we're going to yeah. be a 110 point team. We're going to lose in the first round again." Well, this is this is the thing though. Like, when Tampa lost against Columbus. They got swept two years. The, the year before they won their first cup in 2019. I think, understandably so, a lot of people were saying, oh, how does this team come back the next year and like look each other in the eyes and say, oh yeah, we can do it this year after we won the President's Trophy, Nikita Kucherov won the heart, and then we got blown out by a pretty bad Columbus Blue Jackets team. And then they went on to win two cups. And I, and I would be saying the same thing about last year, the Leafs. How do they come back this year after that season, last season, um, where they went out to the Habs. If anything, I would expect that to have, make them have like a worse season, but they were even better, and they played even better in the playoffs. So I don't know if that's why I'm saying I don't think it's a culture thing. If if it's, I would have been asking, how can they come back from this last year 
and they did come back from it. So I think they can come back from this. Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't. They didn't get any better this year. Like they, they were objectively a better team. Uh, they lost in the first round. I don't think they're a better team. I'm gonna be honest with you. They are a way better team because they they lost to a way better team and they played way better. I know the I result agree. at the end of the day is what matters, but you the context is way is important too. Is it when you've lost it four is. in it a is. row? You it lost, is. but you I lost. Know you lost, but there's context in the loss it's important to, to take lessons from i agree but in the fifth one i think it comes down to win or lose i i agree no, when you lose in, yeah when you lose in the third one there is context but like you lost for a fifth year in a row like you lost that's just what it is you lost yeah i know you lost they didn't get better they they, they they didn't go any farther they didn't go any farther but i think it's it's it that that's it's tough for me to say they didn't get better because what we saw with their eyes was a better hockey team they are a better hockey team, but I mean, did they gain any confidence this year that thinking that they are oh, that they're know. are they any closer to winning the cup now than they were last year? Yeah, I think so. Materially, like good enough where you are confident that if you do not make a change this year, this team can win a cup next year. Well, I I would have more confidence than I did last year. Yeah, but enough to say this team don't change it; they're winning a cup. Because if the answer isn't the um, changes though, yeah, I'm saying if they don't, if, if the answer isn't immediately less, you have to make a change because it's, it's getting embarrassing at this point. Like it is, and not even to be salty. Like if you if you aren't a hundred percent confident this team can win a cup, if you gave them another chance next year, you have to make a change. You have to, like they, again, like again, I cannot believe this happened again. I can. No. I- I don't know. I'm confident this team has what it takes to win a cup because they're a good team. I don't and like if you trade Willie and the team gets better, I'm on board and I'm a huge Willie fan. I want the team to be better. So if I'm I'm 100% on board to make changes, should those changes be logical and I, and I have faith in this in this management team to make a trade that is logical. So in, if that is on, on on that condition, I'm on board for making any changes. Yeah, I mean, William Nylander is like the quintessential example of a depth scorer, especially on that second line. Like, he provides a level of scoring depth that not many other players can provide on the second line, but he's not even cracking the second line anymore. And the, if you're not going to play him on second line minutes, you can't make this team. Well, I think at the end of the season, they were just sort of spreading it out. But towards the end of the series, he was playing on the second line again. Yeah, in, in Game 7, he was. In Game 7, he was. <sighs> What I will give the Leafs credit for is that you're right. Like in games, in literally every single game, off the puck, this team was so tenacious. They were so yeah. strong. They pushed. They showed they wanted it. The only player I will say chose to play when he wanted to was William Nylander. Yeah. Right? And that just cannot happen on any NHL team, but it cannot happen on a team that is this desperate to win. That's fair. Right? Remember that they were down what five nothing in that clip went viral about Eddie Olchek saying he was going to sit him for that play where William Nylander like stopped moving his feet on a forecheck. Yeah, right. That can't happen. No, I I agree. I'm not going to defend that because that's indefensible. Right. So what I'm saying is, if there is a guy to move, I, I it has to be yeah, him. If there is a guy to move, it is probably Willie. I think when we're on the same page, we're just talking in circles now. That if it's going to make a change, at least like let's try and make sure the change makes us better. Yeah. It's not just get rid of him for, I don't know, whoever, just to say we made a change. It's got to be a change for for a reason. Um, and if they do that, yeah, I'm on board. I want this team to win. We're just going to take a brief intermission to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, King of the Journey. Designed and manufactured locally here in Toronto, King of the Journey has a wide variety of high-fashion streetwear and loungewear made for dreamers and achievers. To check out their everyday fits and all-time apparel, Follow them on Instagram at King of the Journey 
and visit them online at kingofthejourney.com. We're going to talk about another game seven now. and it's, it's pretty good because, well, not good. That That's pretty salty of me to say, but it's kind of funny. Let's say our, our, our ironic that Boston lost to game seven yesterday too. I think it's good. Ah, okay, it's good. Yeah. Lucky number seven this year, man. Every single series has gone to seven except the blow it in Colorado and, and the St. Louis okay. Blues yeah. win yeah. in six. Mm-hmm. St. Louis Blues are winning the cup, but that's a conversation for another day. What did you think about this Boston series? This was... I had never seen a better example of home ice advantage. Um, yeah. Like, literally, the home team won every single game. I don't... I'm sure it's happened before, but I can't remember the last time that happened. And so convincingly, Boston was unbelievable at home and a completely different team on the road. And the same can be said about Carolina. I've never seen home ice impact the way a team plays to this degree ever. Something about TD Gardens makes that perfection line turn into the 90s Oilers. It's, yeah, they're, they, they're a crazy team at home. And then away from TD, they're so bad like they got beat so convincingly in game seven i know it was three two but for most of the game it was domination yeah right they scored in the last minute i mean here's what i'll say the reason why we took boston in seven was because we thought freddie anderson out anti has played three games with an eight eight seventy save percentage in the playoffs his team has no chance yeah that's what we thought logically i think anti ranta came out with a 237 goals against and a 930 save percentage like those are vasilevsky numbers yeah yeah he was unreal and he got injured halfway through he came back off injury and kept doing this he did yeah right i mean good good for them resilience man if the canes show that they can beat this team especially with the bad omens that they had losing to them in the eastern conference finals a couple years ago this might propel them to the cup yeah i think that um I, th- I think they they have a real strong case to go all the way to the conference finals because I don't have much confidence in the Rangers. I've made that point a number of times on this on this podcast, and I think the Penguins will give them a real run for their money if they win, if they win, and if Crosby and Jari are healthy, which are three big ifs. Yeah, here's why I think Boston lost this series. Number one, obviously, they couldn't win on the road, and yeah. I, I know that seems obvious, but they didn't even put up a fight on the road. It was three pretty bad losses. Like, they lost, like, 5-1, 5 nothing, mm-hmm. and then got beat pretty convincingly in Game 7. Number two, they just don't have enough depth. They don't. They no. don't. Like, Taylor Hall, I'm sorry, isn't great anymore. Eric Hall is on the second line, and Pasternak actually played most of the series on that first line. I mean, you can't you can't win a series when your second line doesn't score you any goals. And the third thing I'll say is, I don't know why Bruce Cassidy didn't believe in the better goalie. Like, why wasn't Jeremy Swayman playing that whole series? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I think it might have just been a case of he's a rookie, Linus on Mark's a little older. We have both of them, you know, just start the older guy, and if he's bad, switch it up. But that you know, probably came back to bite them a little bit because Swayman was pretty good when he went in. Yeah, no, but so was Allmark. Like, Allmark had a really good end of the season, and mm-hmm. I, I agree. Like, you, you, sometimes you play the hotter goalie. They got scared that he was a rookie. But I mean, after Allmark got destroyed in those first two games, like they gave him a third game in Boston. And granted, he won. He won those two games. But those two games in Boston were kind of close. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I think I think they should have rode with Jeremy Swayman. He showed it in the last three games that he is clearly like he's a gamer. He's good. Like he's going to be good for them. I, I think if Jeremy Swayman was in that net the whole year, the whole series, I think they would have came out on top because... Hmm. Carolina looked beatable this year. Carolina and Tampa Bay looked beatable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Carolina, they were, they're 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 a really good team. But there is something about them that you think that that they 
they can be beat. I don't know what it is, um, but they do kind of have that sort of vibe to them. I think maybe they they proved some of their doubters wrong, but I'm still, um, you know, if they if they had to play Tampa or Florida, it would be a tough call. Yeah, looking ahead, but. this this series was so close, and like expected goals four five on five. This team was in like three percentage points of each other for every game except game two when it was a blowout. I mean. Man, we've been pretty lucky in this first round. We've seen some very, very tight matchups that could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could have told me that Boston or Carolina was the better team. No, it was a pretty, it was a coin toss. Yeah, and sometimes it just happens that way. Yeah, but before we move on to the last game seven, I want to kind of go over this because you talked about Boston's depth, and there are some rumors going around that Patrice Bergeron might call it after this season, and if that happens. Well, first of all, do you think it'll happen? And second of all, like, what's going to happen to this team if he doesn't play? So I didn't think it was going to happen because as we've talked about on this podcast, he has had the best defensive season in like the last 10 years out of any player. He's been unreal. Right? And he was putting up points too. Like the guy's clearly still at like close to the top of his game. Yeah. This team, as long as the perfection line is still there, still has juice. Like they can still, they still have a cup left in them, honestly. They've got a cup run right? in them. Yeah. They, they do. So I didn't think that he was gone. But man, after the game, after game seven last night, he was the last player on the ice, was hugging every single player that got off the ice, making it like pretty clear that this looked like it was going to be his last game. Yeah, there was there was more to we just lost a series to that sort of way that the game ended. Yeah, like he was hugging every single player on that team. Like he was like shedding tears. And I know like, fine, you do that when you lose a series. But it seemed different. It seemed like a, like a last farewell kind of yeah. thing. And, and I, I, I had heard or read even earlier in this season, there was like a, a sense that it was a possibility. Not that I, I don't even think it's set in stone now. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of weird when it's to see a guy who is at the, the top of his game is likely going to own the Selkie again to call it quits. But maybe it's just a, it's been too tough on his body. He wants to retire with some quality of life, maybe because he's had some pretty crazy injuries in his career. So maybe it's just him thinking like, I got to, you know, think about whether when i'm gonna feel like 30 years down the road i don't know yeah he has nothing left to, to prove or no. to give to the game he's won a he's won an olympic gold medal as two-time cup champion or one time one Regard, regardless he's yeah, won a regardless. cup he's won multiple selkies he's put up 80 90 points a year like he's cemented himself as maybe one of the best two-way players to ever play this game yeah right he's clearly not retiring because he's getting he's like like he's, he's dustin brown where down, he's yeah. bad he's just you know he's injury prone and that is what it is and you know what taking away my leaves bias like huge respect to him he's had a fantastic career i think that's a guy you would be happy to be a first line center on any team in the league oh easily good for him easily but this boston team without him next year is gonna be who's gonna be their first line center they gotta go sign somebody eric holla is eric holla their second line center is their second line center this year yeah no what if they go get kadri wow (laughs) honestly that's a good call i do or even mark shifley mark shifley too how much is Kadri going to get next He's year? He's probably going to make a lot of money. Like nine? Would you pay? He should, he should ask for nine. Would you pay him nine? I wouldn't. He's had one season. But but Matt Duchesne got eight. Yeah. So I'd st- I, if I'm Kadri's agent, I'm saying I'm not locking out of this negotiation without with less than eight. No shot. What I will say is that Nazem Kadri showed that he can put up 95 to 100 points on a line that isn't great. He was playing second line most of the year. With... I think Burakovsky and Nachushkin, and granted, Nachushkin's very underrated, but yeah. he's not Mikko Rantanen. No. Right? And I'll, we, we've talked about this before. He's actually had a lot of his points five on five. So he's not even relying on that crazy power play. Which is good. With what happened 
this year, like what got released with Nazem Kadri, that that op-ed that he wrote yeah. about the Leafs, the that was honestly, yeah. yeah, a fantastic read. He showed how dedicated he was to be a Leaf. Do you think he'd ever sign with Boston? I mean, m- money talks. Like I wouldn't, the Leaf. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be offended if you joined. It would suck to see that. I wouldn't necessarily be offended though. I don't know, but we granted we have seen in the NHL like players not sign for teams yeah. that they used to be rivals with like with Marc-Andre Fleury that's right right I don't know I I I'd be hard-pressed to think Kadri signs with Boston but like that would be the perfect fit yeah I hope I hope it doesn't happen it's just thinking like one guy's going who's the perfect replacement he's like he is a Boston player he fits that style yeah, perfectly he is he's a Bruin if I've ever seen one but it'd be kind of awkward for him to go in that dressing room and Very see like weird right Very he's weird. two suspensions against that team and be like, what's up yeah I just gave you a concussion two years ago two suspensions against that team I think they'd welcome him with open arms especially because yeah. Brad Marchand is probably going to demand a first line center if Patrice goes yeah, you have to think, right? They're gonna that that's that team can will rightfully so think they can still win. So if Patrice leaves, like you gotta fill that that gap somehow. Now that we're even talking about this, if Patrice decides to stay, why wouldn't they still go get Kadri or Shifley? Like, do they have cap space? I'm not sure if they do. They could make they, it. They can. They could probably make it work. I don't know what their UFA situation is looking like. If they have contracts off the books, but I mean, if this is like, if if. Bergeron sticks around another one or two years, you have to go for it because you're gonna suck no matter what after he leaves. So you sell the farm and go get some guys to, to fill in to play in that second line. I would be kind of scared of Boston if they if Patrice came back because he'd probably be coming back with some guarantees that things are gonna happen around around him. That first line power play would be insane. If they had Kadri, yeah, no, that would be it would be unstoppable. They'd be so good. Still think the Leafs shouldn't make a move if Nazem Kadri becomes a Boston Bruin. Make a move. For just to change things up, like do you think oh. if if Nazem Kadri's a Boston Bruin and we play them in the first round next year, I, I we're toast. Uh, yeah, we're toast again. <laughs> I love I love for Nas to come back. Just take four million a year and come back. Yeah, okay, four million a year <laughs> hometown discount. Honestly, move John Tavares to the wing. He's too slow to be a center. You play him Nazem Kadri second line wing. You get rid of William Nylander. There's your replacement. Shoot, would you not do that? Yeah, that would be that. insane. Nas coming back for a revenge tour would be just inject like inject that into my veins right now what you could do honestly you could make like a william nylander sign and trade with colorado and then you you, you sign and wow. trade nazem kadri so to like the eighth year yeah for like eight million you sign nazem kadri you have a talk with jt i think he'd happily move to the wing i think he would yeah because he's too slow he's slow enough. right but i mean he still put up 80 points this year he's still good enough to crack any top six in the league yeah and he was even great in the last three games of that power play like now of that series like down low like i just he he is a beast he must his his quads must be like one foot in diameter yeah i mean damn now that i'm thinking about it that would be a crazy trade that would be crazy but the thing is with these trade proposals if, if we're so convinced that it's amazing there's just no way the other team does it half the time but we're just we're in dreamland now so we can have our fun yeah let's move on okay and then now an, another an interesting one for these fans in particular is that the oilers got over the hump this year against the Kings. So happy to see that. Uh-huh. Tell us about it. Um, I mean, two words. Connor McDavid. What a beast. Connor McDavid, second player in NHL history with six multi-point games in a playoff series. Six multi-point games. Ten points in seven games or something stupid. Fourteen? Yeah, ten, ten assists. It's stupid. It's stupid. I mean... We said it coming in. If this team got the goaltending they needed, they were going to win this series convincingly. I'm so surprised LA took it to seven. Yeah. But do you know Mike Smith's stats? 
in this didn't series. Like a, I have a re, I have a here. You had like a 938, didn't you? A 938. That's ridiculous. With a 229 goals against average and two shutouts. Apart <laughs> from that first game where they got where they lost, like yeah. he'd been unbelievable. Yeah, he's he is an enigma. I think because I I don't even know because I th- I think it was last playoffs when they got blown when they got swept by by uh, Winnipeg he was god awful. Yeah, it's bad. And now he comes back a year older. Somehow better? I, I don't know. I, I'm giving up. He's going to come back next year. Maybe he's going to suck. Maybe he's going to be good. It's impossible to predict. Just how, how beautiful is it that after the Leafs lose again, Cody CC scores their game-winning goal last night? That's, <laughs> that's poetic. He has six points. I don't think he got six points all of last year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Objectively, the NHL needed Edmonton to move forward. Yeah. I mean, for Leaf fans, it kind of sucks because if, if they lost, Connor McDavid might be thinking, oh, I got to get my way out of here. I know we're gonna have we're gonna have some fun conversations about that, but I don't think it's gonna happen anymore. Yeah, Edmonton dodged a bullet, but huge credit to LA for making it that far. Like yeah. that that team has a bright young core with cap space and a good market to sign free agents. I would not be surprised if this team makes a splash in the offseason and is good next year. Why not? Yeah. Like we talked about it. Nazem Kadri. We talked about Mark mm. Shifley. They need winger depth. Like Patrick Kane wouldn't want to go to LA. Right? They're good. Their, their, their top their top two centers are good, so they probably wouldn't make a play for um for a center because who do they got? They got Dano and Kopitar. obviously Kopitar, but their winger depth falls off a cliff yeah, after Adrian Kempe. Kempe and that's it. Really, yeah, Aya Follow, Athanasio, okay. like they're they're all like second third liners, right? I mean, if those guys go out and get Patrick Kane, that's in that bad division. That would be really interesting to see them make a push. I, I I think they will because they're they're young. They they they're not like the Leafs, but they're they're young and like the Leafs where when they and you add a few pieces and your young players continue to develop, you're you're making some good strides. Yeah, here's what I'll say: you never want to see a player to get hurt. Like I I am not what I'm about to say is not saying like oh I'm happy this guy hurt. Obviously not. Really sucks that Drew Doughty got hurt. But yeah. what I'm saying is the fact that he got hurt had some unintended benefits for that team because it allowed Sean Dersey to develop. Mm -hmm. Like Sean Dersey went from playing third line minutes with Thomas Bjornfoot to playing 26 minutes a night on the first line power play, going toe to toe with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreitseidel. And the dude held his own. Yeah. He was a, he was a monster, right? He developed into a versatile two way defenseman that next year when Drew Doughty comes back, they're going to play him with Drew Doughty next year. I have no doubt. I know they play on the same side. Someone's going to move and it's going to be Sean Dersey. That first line defensive pairing is going to be fantastic. It's pretty good. Right? I mean, with the Kings have a lot of selling points for free agents this offseason because they showed free agents like, oh, look, we didn't, we weren't a wildcard team, made it, finished third in the division, took a fantastic team to seven games, Maybe you're what we you're what we need to get over the hump and make mm-hmm. it into the second round. I mean, do you really have to sell LA to players? No, I don't think so. I would not be surprised if LA makes a splash this offseason. That's interesting. I'm gonna keep an eye on for sure. But I want one more thing about about Edmonton. If you got a nine thirty eight save percentage from Mike Smith but still had to go to seven games, to me, that rings a bell is that they're they're a pretty flawed team defensively. Oh, we know and this team is built terribly. We know that, right? So that, that emphasizes that their defense is shaky, that Mike Smith is a god, and Conor McDavid is the god of all gods. Because yeah. th- those are the three things that we probably already knew going in, except for the Mike Smith thing. But now they've just been emphasized. This team's... They need to... 
in the offseason, regardless of what they do, they can want to win the cup, and this would still be true. If they can find a way, I don't know how, because their cap situation is kind of messed, if they can find a way to get a, a, a couple more better D-men, they can be good. They're going to be deep enough now. They're going to be more than good. Yeah. Right? Mike Smith is playing like a top five goalie in the league Which is, th- throughout the month yeah. of April in the first round of the playoffs. Which is I, I unfathomable. I don't understand how that happens. He's got to be the oldest player in the league at this point. Yeah, I mean, Connor McDavid said it best. Like his one quote at the end of game six when they lost to f- where LA forced game seven, like sums up the Edmonton, the Edmonton Oilers in a nutshell. He said, you know, we scored four goals tonight. That needs to be enough to win. It obviously wasn't. Yeah. Like they need to win games 5-4 to beat the LA Kings. And I mean, granted, game seven wasn't like that because Mike Smith stood on his head, but all the first games were like Pretty high the over hit literally yeah. every single time. I mean, who's their starting six? Like, I'm sorry, Darnell Nurse is not a good defensive defenseman. No, and he's making nine and a half starting next year. Cody Cece is a pylon. <laughs> he is he is, a, he is a pylon. He's a pylon that somehow got six points though. Yeah. But granted, he's still a pylon. Duncan Keith needs oxygen in yeah. between intermissions. And who else is on the team? Evan Bouchard, like and I'm Tyson Berry, and Tyson Berry, all a bunch of ex Leafs. Like that, t- that decor is not good enough to make a playoff. The reason why they do is they have two of the top five players in the world on that team, yeah. scoring six goals a night. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I think the easiest GM spot in the whole league is to be in Edmonton because it, 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 it's written on the wall. Go get a goalie. Go get a stud defenseman. Sell off the Miko Koskinen contract for a first-round pick if you have to, and this team's a perennial cup contender, yeah. right? It seems easy from the outside looking in. I don't know what like like what what's so hard about it. Like how, it's Ken Holland still there, yeah. right? If if you're Ken Holland, how do you not tell the team we'll give you like a first and a third-round pick to take this Miko Koskinen contract <laughs> and another terrible contract off our books? Because then essentially you can go sign a free agent and you're basically moving that first-round pick for a stud winger. Right yeah. or stud defenseman. I, I don't know how these changes haven't been made yet. Like, how is Mike Smith still their starting goalie four years later? Well, he the the sad part is that he tried. He spent he got five million dollars wrapped up in Duncan Keith because he didn't they didn't retain in, in Chicago. Then he signed Barry and CC together. That's over ten million worth of contracts. Maybe it's just because there were no good defensemen on the market, but Seth Jones was available. Like you can talk about whether he's overrated or not, but at the end of the day, he still logs minutes and he's he he brings a level of confidence to a room. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even think there's any defensemen that are up this year. I can't think of any on top of my head. I'm sure there are a few, but I don't know if any like big dogs are. I wouldn't be surprised if next year. And I know now I'm just throwing out trades, but these are trades that make sense. Correct me if I'm wrong. Edmonton Oilers make a trade where they go. A first and a second, and Miko Koskinen for like Jacob Chickering or something. That makes a lot of sense to me. He makes a lot of sense there, right? It's a team-friendly deal. It works for both sides. I mean, Arizona only needs to fill three thousand fans in that arena next hmm. year, so I don't think they care who starts in that net. And they want to suck. They want to suck. I mean, I can't believe they didn't make that trade at the deadline. Interesting. I didn't really thought of Chickering being there. They're gonna have to sweeten the pot big time. It's gonna have to be like for a first just to get Koskinen plus. Plus, but I mean, it's hard to argue against doing that because you have two of the best players, like you said, in their prime yeah. in the world. And Chikrin's on term. He's yeah. on a team-friendly deal. I don't know. We'll see what Ken Holland does. Knowing Ken Holland, he's going to go out and get, I don't, I don't even know, like some bum, Jared Spurgeon or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, let's continue. Okay. Well, we, we talked a lot about the, um, 
the games, but something that was a conversation being had in between games and during games was the refing standard that we see in this playoffs. And funnily enough, at least at the start of the first round, the conversation wasn't necessarily that the refs were bad. It's that the refs were actually calling penalties. The first few games we saw there was a noticeable uptick like in the number in the number of penalties called, the number of power plays. Right? And we've been calling for that. Elliot, I think Elliot Friedman reported this, that at the end of last season, there was a meeting that the players had with the league basically saying, you know, we want you to call penalties. Connor McDavid didn't draw a single penalty when they got swept by Winnipeg somehow. And, and it seemed like they kept that standard up. But the problem is when the refs become inconsistent and they don't maintain that standard that they set at the beginning of the series, not only throughout the entire series, but within games. We saw, we're going to make the... Not, this isn't all about the Leafs that happened in all the series, but we watched the Leafs series more closely, of course. There was a game where, but from the second to th- from the first to second to third period, the standard changed within a game. How is that even remotely fair to to the teams, but to the individual players? They don't know what they can and can't do now. So, what what were your thoughts on um, before I go off on another big rant? Like, what were your thoughts on the refing standard this playoff so far? Yeah, no, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, first and foremost, I'm pretty sure statistically it shows that the number of penalties in playoffs stay the same. Just the refs miss considerably more calls. With yeah. all, all that is saying is that things get a lot tougher. Players are taking more penalties. But the fact that the refs are putting their whistles away is offset by the fact that there are just more penalties to be called. So I think the number of power plays stay the same, I, I, I believe. However, you are correct. Like, they need to be consistent. I mean... There's all this talk about, oh, you know, we don't want the refs to call penalties because we don't want them to decide the game. But what people don't understand is by them not making calls, they are in effect deciding the game. They are indirectly. It is incredibly inconsistent. Like we saw um, Nikita Zadarov not get called for a penalty or a suspension on that play in game six. Franklin Denning in the head, clear to the head. Yeah, like there is no penalty or suspension there. However, we see in a game seven Justin Hall is called on maybe the worst interference I have ever seen. The level of inconsistency there is so bad, and not even because I'm a Leafs fan, but there has to be a level of consistency across series, but at the very least, like you're saying, within a series, like game to game or period to period, it cannot change. No. It can't. No. Like, why wasn't Austin Matthews given a penalty for that tugging? Remember we saw in like game six? Yeah, Kalorn was... Claude was riding him. He right. He's hanging on to his sweater for dear life. Yeah. I mean, the level of inconsistency is the problem here. If the refs want to put the whistles away, then do it. But just let players know what the standard is yeah. and stick by it. Well, especially in game in game seven, there were so many penalties granted both ways. The Leafs should have probably gotten called and Tampa definitely should have got called for a bunch of things. But then they're going to call that when that same pick is set literally 10 times every single game. So if you're going to if you're going to call that on Justin Hall, you have to call 20 other penalties the rest of that game. And they didn't because Bunting got wrecked in the corner by McDonough. Willie got blatantly tripped when we had a five on four. I'm sure there were things that the Leafs did. I remember that Matthews hit on Sergeyev probably should have been a penalty. Yeah. In game six. Like there's so many blading calls that they miss. And then to call that in that building to tie the game, you're that's a joke. Yeah, I mean, even it's already bad enough if that bad penalty was called in game one in the first period, but game seven yeah. down two one. It's ridiculous. You take not only do you take a goal away, like you put them on the penalty kill. If they scored on that penalty kill, there would have been riots. Oh my gosh. Thank God they killed that penalty. Yeah. Thank God. But I mean, that was the difference maker. We lost two one, right? Yeah. Yeah, like 
game seven, Andre Vasilevsky, you're getting nothing by him. The only way that you can score against that guy are with highlight real goals. We saw that with Morgan Riley. We saw it with John Tavares. Like, you can't take that away. And I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I'm a Salty Lee's fan. Like, that wasn't a penalty. Was that a, a regular season penalty? 100%. Probably. But with the standard they set exactly. in that's this series, you can't do that. Yeah. In, in a vacuum, that's a penalty. Yeah. But in the context of what was going on, not only in the series, but that game, that's never a penalty. And the fact that they called that was was ridiculous. Yeah, it just seems like the level of inconsistency is, is clearly the problem. The only penalties that we see in Game 7s usually are ones are four-minute double minors because you cannot not call a high-sticking penalty when blood is drawn, Yeah. right? So for them to call such an on-the-fence interference call at that time is like, yeah, I, was, I wasn't I was even mad. I was so shocked. Yeah, and I'm going to go, go full Leafs homer now. When Nick Paul scored that second goal where he turned into Pele with a little kick between his own legs or whatever, if you look, Killorn was holding on to Jake Muzzin's stick when he fell in the corner, right? There was, there was holding on that play when McDonough scored the goal, I think it was in Game 5 in Toronto, Ross Colton crushed like Morgan Riley, so he couldn't close down that gap. Like there's so many penalties, and and I it's fine because you let those go. That 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 happens in the playoffs. We've come to accept that as fans, but then to go back and call the other one is just what are we doing here? Yeah, no. So for anyone who's thinking that we're salty, we are not saying the Nick Paul goal should have been disallowed. No. Like that is not a playoff penalty. What we're saying is that sets precedent for Justin Hall's not to be a penalty either. Exactly. And and if we were if we were an LA fan, if we were a, a Calgary Flames fan, we'd have the we'd have probably ten other examples of it in that series. We just happen to watch this series more closely. But I just I, I don't know. I think this is the only league, barring the MLB, where the refs are a big story every single playoffs or every single like you never hear about that in the NBA because they have they have the ability to review. You don't hear about that in other in other North American sports. In football you do sometimes, but it, it just feels like the NHL's always it's always about the refs doing something to mess up the game well in every other league there's precedent being set like the, the the hallmark of a good referee is not one who makes the right calls all the time because referees are human the hallmark is that you are consistently inconsistent is if that's the word that i'm looking for when we look in the nba you know whether a bad call is made on james harden you know james harden is getting the, the fouls so yeah. teams can plan around that when you True. see um a ref i'm uh, sorry a um an umpire calling a strike zone like calling the off-left portion of the strike zone, a strike when it's a ball. If he's doing it consistently, teams don't have a problem with that because they know, okay, let's make an adjustment. In the NHL, you cannot make adjustments when refs are changing their their precedent every two minutes. Yeah, that's a right? great point. That's the problem that I have. And I mean, it's not going to get fixed. I, it's just so ironic that the team that it burnt was the Leafs. Of course. Yeah. Well, speaking of what you're talking about making adjustments, I don't know if any other leagues do this, but I know for the NHL, they it's not a single referee crew that sticks with a series. They change every game, every other game. Yeah. Do you think picking a ref combo and saying, okay, you're refing all seven games, do you think that might help? Without a doubt. That's what they do in the MLB. I'm pretty sure in the MLB there is one refing crew, umpire crew, that stays there the whole entire yeah. series. And the players know who these umpires are because they know every umpire has a small different strike zone and they can plan around that. Mm -hmm. But you're right. If they're changing the, the, the referees every three minutes, yeah. like, like, come on. It's just... I saw um, a tweet yesterday from a, from a retired ref, Tim Peel. He was like, oh, we got Wes McCauley and Eric Furlat, two of the best in the game, refing, refing this one. And granted, maybe they are, but if you can you just have those two ref the entire series? That way, if that's their standard in Game 7, but that starts in Game 1, then, then maybe you 
you know. Yeah. Here's one. The, the last rant I will have about the refs is that I saw a lot of times, n- not only in the Leafs series, in a, in a bunch of series, is that the refs that are closest to the play are not yeah. the ones calling them. I saw a play. I don't know if it was on Matthews, but... That they were right in front of the, not the linesman, the referee in the corner. And the mm-hmm. referee didn't make the call. And the linesman, who needed binoculars to see it from the other blue line, is the one making the call. Yeah. I, I know it, it optically it looks bad, but, but some, maybe sometimes like when you're too close or if, if they're two feet in front of you and you're looking at their chest, you can't really see what's happening at their feet maybe. And the guy at the back has the better view. Maybe that happens from time to time, but I... Optically, it does look really weird, especially when it's a bad call. Yeah, that just the, the the level of transparency with referees is terrible, and I think the NHL needs to be more transparent about this. But they yeah. will never, they will never come out and set an official standard for refereeing. Like that's just not going to happen. No, but in the NBA, they have um, when something happens in like the last two minutes, when there's a call made, they have a report that gets publicized after. Yeah, but re- NHL refs never have to answer for their calls. I don't understand why there aren't reviewable plays for penalties. Like we saw in Game Six, I believe um, Pittsburgh versus New York. New York was down by a goal, and Brian Rust blatantly put the puck over the the boards the on his own zone. It was a blatant oh, okay. penalty, and it was missed. And the difference maker there is like, I mean, granted, I'm pretty. Um, New York came back and ended up winning the game. Or maybe, correct, I apologize if I'm wrong. Maybe this was game four when they went down 3 1. Regardless, I, I don't understand why you cannot review yeah. penalties with like three minutes left and don't make teams have to sacrifice a penalty for it. That's, that's a good point. And maybe, uh, unfortunately, it always takes something bad happening before the rules are changed. So maybe that's something they talk about. Maybe let's say, okay, last five minutes of the third. X, Y, and Z types of penalties are reviewable or a coach can call for review and doesn't count towards their challenge. Like may- maybe they have a stipulation because it's not even fair to the refs to have to have them have to call those penalties. If you have the benefit of video review to lean on, it actually, I think it'll make refs better at their job because they won't feel as much pressure. They won't, right? They can watch the game a little bit better. And what they can also do is not like they can even call a penalty if they're if they think it maybe it was maybe it wasn't and then have the benefit of video review to go back and say actually it wasn't but i made the call in case it was like even just that extra layer of safety because they're humans like you mentioned that goes a long way we see with soccer var has been used to good effect in most cases yeah um i think that's a great idea introducing some sort of review over a certain time period because it's not fair to the teams but also to the refs on, on a human level yeah, I mean, in the regular season, it obviously shouldn't be done because the pace of play would be way too slow. But like teams work their whole season to get here yeah. to be called on 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 BS penalties is something that just can't happen. Uh, yeah, I I would agree with that as well. I mean, the reason why I think it won't happen is because I think the refs are like one of the most heavily unionized parts of the NHL, mm. and when you give refs an opportunity to look bad by missing multiple calls. I don't know if they would be down to be exposed like that, but it's definitely something that's good for the game. I just don't know if we'll see it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's something, especially if these next few series, if there's more of these instances, I think it's gonna it's a discussion that they're that they're gonna have to have. Um, that's enough. Enough with the refs, though. Let's talk about some. Funnily enough, some non-playoff teams who are making some news. Um, Lou Lamorello, as he does, just wakes up on a what was it like a Wednesday morning, decides he wants to fire the coach that brought his team to the conference finals two years in a row. Yeah. What the heck's going on in, in Long Island? Barry Trotz, cup winner, 
with a team that nobody thought would ever win the cup because yeah. they were cursed like the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hmm. 115 and 67 with the Islanders in his three years. Like you said, back-to-back conference finals berth. 2018's Jack Adams winner and one bad season one and bad he's season. fired. And That's this crazy. season was totally out of his control because his big players were terrible. They dealt with injuries all season. Yeah. First of all, their team is built like an NCAA team. It's terrible. And they were playing on the road for the first 30 games. Yeah. How do you not just chalk up this season to, okay, it was a bad season. Let's go back next year. Let's sign a couple free agents and let's see what happens. Like, how is the first notion to sign, to fire a coach that brought you to back-to-back finals and was bad in a year that was out of his control? Yeah, it's it's so illogical that and I've heard multiple people speculate about this. I don't know if there's any truth or any evidence, but there, there had to have been something non-hockey related or non on the ice related that that led to this maybe a disagreement of some sort i don't know what it could have been but to fire him solely based on on ice performance i don't even think that's 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 indefensible yeah like what i'll say is like the only rationale i can see behind this and this isn't even a rationale is that they had zero offense all year they were tired of losing games 2-1 and barry trotz is like maybe the most defensive minded coach in the league next to um, Daryl Sutter, but like, come on, he's one of the best coaches in the league. Like Barry Trotz is going to be hired within a month. I, he's absolutely. There are be. multiple coaching vacancies ready for him. Oh yeah, right. And a part of me thinks that maybe Vancouver is in signing Bruce Boudreau to a long-term contract because mm. Barry Trotz is on the market now. Maybe right. I mean, here's a question I have for you: What's worse in the Lula Morello era, firing Barry Trotz or trading Devontae's for two second-round picks? Yeah, I mean. He had to he had to trade Devontae because he signed a couple of bad contracts. He had Ross Cole, he has uh, Ross Johnston, Kyle Clutterbuck, Casey Zizekas, and Matt Martin all on contracts. So those are f- three fourth line players. And Komarov, right? And I, I don't know if Komarov was there still. He might have been, but yeah. Either way, I, I we we've had a conversation about Lou a few episodes ago. Um, his track record speaks for itself, but he does make some questionable decisions at times. Yeah, and also for anyone saying that the Leafs should go out and get Barry Trotz, like, please, enough no, with that. No, like, no, 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 they're no, clearly no. playing for Sheldon Keefe. I, cause I'm just saying that because I heard a couple rumors on Twitter. Okay. It's not going to happen. No, and I don't think he's the coach yeah. for uh, for us. Yeah, no, um, I agree. But well, Lou, have, have you heard that, like of Lou Lamorello's history of, of these random-ass firings? So there's like, a couple... So in the ninety nine in the ninety nine two thousand season, they were in first in their in their conference. Then with less than a month to go, he fired the coach Robbie Fatorik, and they won the cup. <laughs> I mean, I guess it worked out well. <laughs> and then they did it again. Claude Julian, with a week to go in the season two thousand six, he fired him and took over. Wow. They didn't win the cup that year, but yeah. this is clearly something that Lou does not have a problem doing. Yeah, and I mean, for anyone saying, "Oh, look, it worked," like I'm just so tired of people judging the the like the validity of a decision based off of the result like at the time before you knew you were going to win a cup that's a terrible move yeah you're probably thinking what the heck is he doing yeah exactly and the fact that they won the cup doesn't justify the move like it could have been the sense that they they would have won it easier with that coach and now it was tougher but yeah Lula Morello is a weird guy man like what I'll say is while he was in Toronto he made a couple moves that I liked like did he he drafted some of these guys this big core uh, did he not a couple I don't think you drafted Willie or Marner I think Kyle Dubas ran that draft. Oh, no, it wasn't Kyle Dubas. It was uh, Mark Hunter, actually, was, like, pushing very hard to draft Marner. But he might have made it. I think he drafted, might have been there for 
um, a couple of them for sure. He had a big hand in the way the Leafs are currently uh, set up. Yeah, so I'll give him that. But he, he had some questionable things towards the end of his tenure. I mean, yeah, it just seems like everywhere Lula Morello goes, they have some success, but like things just fall apart at the end. Yeah, and, and listen, they could he could go hire some coach and they can go on and be great next year and we'll look silly. But I don't think it's crazy right now to question this decision yeah. at all. It's 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 very confusing from the outside looking in. I really thought that New York next year was going to be good. They have a Vesna caliber goalie in that net, like we've talked about. Their their top six actually isn't awful. Like I mean, Matt Barzell, Anders Lee aren't bad. Like. I mean, I really thought they were going to go out and get some free agents. Um, and then with Barry Trotz behind the net, like, sorry, behind the bench, like, I, I thought they would have been a playoff team. But I guess Lula Morello has some different decisions. We have to see what happens. And, I mean, we'll comment on this next year and see if yeah. we were right or wrong. Okay, one question before, before I move on. Babs? In the island, uh, Islanders coach? Oh, my God. If they were to do that, <laughs> there's no way. You don't think so? There's I saw n- some people saying, oh, could it happen? There's no way the owners would let that happen. No way. That would be a pretty way. bad look. But it, Lou, Lou does what he wants. After everything that came out with Mike Babcock and how he's just not a good person. Like, I mean, and that, that that's a big claim for me to make because I've never talked to him. So maybe... That's too strong. But what he well, did to Mike Medano, what he did to Mitch Marner, like and Jason Spezza Holstrom, too. Holmstrom too. Right? Like all those stories. Yeah. I mean, so maybe he's yeah, no. I can't, <laughs> you no. can't even rationalize no. it. No. Yeah, he's he's kinda done here. I just wanted to ask because I, I knew that would get a chuckle out of you. That's jokes. Okay. Even so even worse than the Islanders, we're gonna move down the standings and talk a little bit about the draft. Lottery. Oh, that's a tough introduction. Well, they're bad teams. <laughs> I don't know how else to smoothly get there, but we got there. Okay. Draft lottery. Montreal. Shane Wright? Oh, without a doubt, Shane Wright's okay. going number one overall. What, I mean what are your thoughts there? It's great for the league. I mean, Montreal is one of the biggest franchises in the league. The team has been a dumpster fire for the last five years. I mean their young core is going to be very, very good now. Like yeah. Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield. I mean, Shane Wright. Like, are you even going to argue? Is is Jason, not Jason Anderson. I always forget his first Josh. name. Josh Anderson. Is he young? Yeah, he's not old. Right? So, like, that, that core isn't bad. In two to three years, like, I mean, if they were able to get some free agents, they could be a playoff team. Yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked to see them have a, they're going to have a pretty quick rebuild. But all I'll say is that Thank God they sucked this year and won the draft this year because if they would have got Connor Bedard next year, I would have been so upset. Yeah, Connor Bedard looks like he's going to be like one of the best first round picks, first overall pick since Connor McDavid. Gonna, I guess since Austin Matthews. Yeah, they're, he's he's going to be sort of on that level, at least like hype wise. Yeah, I mean, Shane Wright started off junior on an absolute terror mm-hmm. and then really slowed down to a point where a lot of analysts were questioning whether he was going to go number one. And yeah. on, on a side note, I can't remember the last draft that there wasn't a bona fide number one pick. It might have been the Taylor Hall draft the last time I can remember where like we weren't a hundred percent sure that this player wasn't going first. Yeah, I think the last time I can remember and, and they ended up picking wrong anyway was the Nick Nico Hishier, Nolan Patrick and both of them well Nico is good. Patrick has had some um unfortunately some some head issues, some brain issues. But then they had like Makar Heiskin go like right after them. But either way, yeah, it's there's been some conversation about whether it's going to be him. It probably will end up being him, but he has sort of seems like he's tailed off a little bit in terms of like the hype. And what I will say is that his his comments on the Gino Retta mm. interview were slightly incongruent with the pattern of his play towards the end of the year. What did he say? He said some stuff like, 
oh my god I, i'm not saying this verbatim, verbatim but, th- but like, these are the cold notes where he said some savage stuff like you know i deserve to go number one i am the best player in this draft and he said something like i deserve the honor of going first overall like i mean even if you're like the next wayne gretzky you don't say that i mean we've been asking for hockey players to be a little more saucy but that that's that's a big that's some big claims to be making as an 18 year old i like the confidence i guess but I, I don't know. We'll see. He's got to live up to some hype in a pressure market like Montreal. Like if I was him and I knew I was going to Montreal, I'd probably want to be as low-key as possible, but I'm not him. so. Yeah, I mean, he didn't look bad in the World Juniors. He didn't look great, yeah. but he didn't look bad. You know, looked fan- you know looked fantastic? Connor Bedard. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be he's gonna be a problem when he comes into the league. Yeah. I wonder if uh, Shane Wright goes to the, the, world, uh, the, the World Juniors because they're going to be in August. It's going to be so weird. It's going to be a Habs training camp. I wonder if the Habs even let him go. I mean, he's probably going to make the team. So He'll make the team for sure, but whether or not he goes, like, I wonder how many guys are going to miss that one. Yeah, it's kind of at a weird time. It's just, yeah, they got that taken out of their hands. They, I don't know. Um, we'll see. I'm excited to see. I'm even more excited that you're right. Connor Bedard is not in this draft. That would have been yeah, really he's gonna be a, He's going to be an Arizona Coyote. So <laughs> hopefully they have no arena by then. So before we just wrap up our last topic, should we talk a little bit about... Just some round one MVPs. Who we think sort of was an MVP from the East and the West. I'll let you go first. You can take the East, or do you want to take the West? Uh, I'll take the East. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, this was a this was a fan Q and A that we got, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so we'll, thank you for that listener for asking that question. So I forgot to mention that. Yeah. So I'll start off with the East. I mean, <sighs> least legend Carter Verhage. Am I saying that properly? Verhage, baby. Carter Verhage, least legend, six goals. Six assists in six games against the Washington Capitals. That's Take a crazy. guess what his shooting percentage was. It's got to be something like 32% or something stupid like that. 40? 40. Holy 40. smokes. Yeah, he did this all with 16 minutes of ice time a night. No first-line power play. He saved Florida from an embarrassing exit against a team that hasn't won a series since their 2018 Cup win. I don't even know what would have happened in Florida if that team didn't beat. That would have been pretty funny a shell of their former selves, Washington Capitals. And it's just so funny that this team needed Carter Verhage to be the difference maker. Like what happened to Barkov and Giroux and Huberto? Huberto and Giroux were kind of silent. Yeah? Yeah, they didn't do much. You you needed a second, fine, a first-line winger who doesn't play first-line power plays, a borderline AHL player at times to score six goals. Like, come on. Like, I mean, I guess that's why you have depth. I guess that's why you load up, but... You're right. For if we're gonna talk a little bit about Florida here, they looked a little bit um, suspect. Florida is like the Leafs, unbelievable team in the regular season, perennial um, President's Trophy candidates. Struggle with goaltending in the playoffs. Could never get over the hump. But if they did get over the hump, I think they're Stanley Cup favorites. And I mean, now that they have some confidence, I would not be surprised if they make it if they go all the way. But here's something I will say. Talking about the Washington Capitals, did you see what um, Alexander Ovechkin said about the Washington Capitals after that loss? What did he say? Yeah, he was um, going to leave out the bad words. But he said, um, you know, this team is in a pretty effed up situation right oh, yeah. now. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, when teams go on like a Stanley Cup honeymoon phase where they win a cup and then they're given a few years of leeway because you know mm. oh they finally won it's fine but when you think about it it's true this core hasn't changed much it's been four years they haven't won a series since they won the cup 
It's a tough look. What's going on? I know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's age, if it's complacency, if it's the goaltending is kind of not good either. It's got to be age, depth, and goaltending. Like you said, we see it. Like it's it's written on the wall. Every single good playoff team is is built from the backup. Like you need a great defenseman. Sorry, you need a great goalie. You need great scoring depth. They have neither of those. The core is getting old. Is Ovechkin forty yet? No, he's, he's like late thirties. Thirty-eight. John Carlson isn't getting any younger. No. Backstrom and Kuznetsov are getting old. Yeah, the thing is, the sun is setting on this team. And for Ovechkin to say that, I mean, he's like, say what you want. He's, he put up 50 goals this year, and how many points? Still a beast. Right? Like 90-something? Yeah, so he is up there. Right? I mean, for him to make these comments, like, is there a is there a possible chance that he's telling that front office, like, make moves or I'm gone? Well, I think he's he's telling them he's got to make moves because he, he just signed, like, a another, I think it was, like, a five-year contract for $9.5 or something like that. So I don't think he's going anywhere, but that's probably Alex Ovechkin saying, hey, Let's uh let, let's let's freshen this up a little bit, and I don't know how they're gonna do that. I don't know if they have assets or cap space, but when you have Ovi who's still putting up 50, you gotta try because similar to Boston, once Ovi's gone and once the rest of those guys are gone, which is gonna happen, they're gonna suck. So if you know you're gonna suck, just try for these last couple of years. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in in the market for a for a bona fide starting goalie. Like they they maybe go after Ville Huso, who might not yeah, sign back after after Benny uh, Bennington took the net back. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I mean, we'll see. But anyways, who is your um, who is your MVP in the West? Well, okay, in in the West, it's it's pretty easy. You didn't have to do much digging here. It's got to be like Connor McDavid, fourteen point seven games. I think he, when we talked to Anthony Petrelli, he just said, yeah, one day McDavid's gonna wake up and he's gonna say, yeah, we're gonna he's gonna go nuclear. I think this is uh pretty close to that. Um, tied for tenth all time or most points in a series. With guy, funnily enough, Ovi and Sid both scored 14. And then Paul Coffey, Lemieux was there. But funny piece of trivia for you, and I didn't know the answer to this. It's just a way to get to there to the answer. Who has the record for the most points in a playoff series? Is it not Wayne Gretzky? Oh, it's not. Somehow, I think Wayne Gretzky's second. It's, a, it's Rick Middleton. I don't even know I who that no, is. I don't even know who he played for, but he put up 19 in a series in 82-83. Wow. Which is just kind of crazy. Some some of these guys, they just have a crazy playoff series or they have like those moments. And now he's in Stanley Cup history. Or sorry, Stanley Cup playoff history forever. Um, but there's not much to say about McDavid. I do want to give a shout out to Kale McCarr. Wow, yeah. 10 points in four games as a defenseman is... Let me just let, let's spice up with a little bit the hot take at the end of this episode. Is he the best player on that team? You took the words right out of my mouth. I was literally just going to ask you. There's an argument to be made that he is the best player on that team. Yeah. Right now he is. For sure. Yeah, right now he is. I mean, he's in my top five. Like the only four betters. Player in the league? Yeah. I, yeah. I, the only guys I give ahead of him are McDavid, Austin, Dreitseidel, and oh, I was used to say McKinnon. I don't even think McKinnon's the answer anymore. And that's not even a slight against McKinnon. It's just McCarr's crazy. Yeah. And. Maybe maybe people are saying, oh, it was against Nashville. Of course, if like a guy like McCarr is going to have a lot of opportunities, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he still goes off against St. Louis. They could win or lose that series, but he's going to be a big factor in it. Yeah, that it's funny enough. It's it's kind of crazy how a $9.5 million contract might be the most underpaid contract in the it's league. That's like a bargain. Yeah. He right. should be making double digits. Yeah, 100%. He's getting paid like he's... What, sorry, it's the contract is for like six or seven years, it's right? Like, yeah, they got... They, it's a sweetheart deal. Yeah, somehow, if, a nine and a half. If he wins the Norris this year, which I think he should, he should no question. He should. Um, and he's a free agent with the cap going up. Some team would have paid him like twelve. Probably. Yeah. Oh, he's he's worth that. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so. So, I think that kind of brings us to an end of this episode. Looking ahead 
to round two. I mean, with the Leafs out, we're going to get a lot more objective takes from, from at least from my microphone. Um, so it'll be fun to watch next episode. We'll, you know, we'll be in the middle of round two, I think, by that time. So we'll kind of break down the start of those series. Hopefully we'll have a couple interviews coming up. Just a little tease there. Um, but yeah, end of round one. What a roller coaster. Leafs are perennial heartbreakers. Do you have any last words before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll, we'll say is that in the first round, we broke down who we think was going to win the series right at the beginning. Maybe this time, like what our plan is, is we're going to wait for two or three games to go by, and then we'll break down the series as they come mm-hmm. once we have a little bit more information. But yeah, we're, we're excited to see what happens in the second round. I stick by my words. St. Louis is winning the cup. Oh, boy. Listen here. St. Louis is beating Colorado in six games. They I are stealing seen. game one in Colorado. They're losing game two. They're taking two at home, and they're winning in Colorado. It's happening. That is that is piping hot. It is piping hot. But, but hey, we'll see if it happens. We'll, we'll break it down next episode. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Catch you next week. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review podcast. We'll see you all next week.